Hi, this is Cindy Grau from Park Ridge, and I'm a top fan of the Mike Novak Show Facebook page. You're listening to WCGO Radio, 1590 and 95.9, Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. This is not a drill. My name is Greta Thunberg. We are living in the beginning of a mass extinction. Our climate is breaking down. Children like me are giving up their education to protest. But we can still fix this. You can still fix this. To survive, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. But this alone will not be enough. Lots of solutions are talked about. But what about the solution that is right in front of us? I'll let my friend George explain. There is a magic machine that sucks carbon out of the air, costs very little, and builds itself. It's called a tree. A tree is an example of a natural climate solution. Mangroves, peat bogs, jungles, marshes, seabeds, kelp forests, swamps, coral reefs, they take carbon out of the air and lock it away. Nature is a tool we can use to repair our broken climate. These natural climate solutions could make a massive difference. Pretty cool, right? But only if we also leave fossil fuels in the ground. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main. Right. And good morning. Good Welcome morning. to the show. Let's do this. Oh, I feel so much better. The dingers are back. The, ding, the, the dingers are... Wow, I am... Okay. I, I may change headsets, but uh, I sound real bassy here. I don't know how, how it is. A little bassy here, too. Yeah, yeah, it just seems real bassy. Oh, well, you know, it's kind of a right. foggy, rainy morning outside. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to just grab the one here. I got the, the spare... And, He's uh, got the spare. Always, always carry a spare set of headsets. Yeah, doesn't everybody? Of, of okay. course. And uh, how is it that uh, we went from August to November and just skipped the month of October? That'll be back tomorrow for a day and a half. Okay. And then a high of fifty uh, something next week. Later in All the right, week. I've got the other ones. Let's try these. How did the? Any oh, that's much better. Woohoo! I don't know what this is. Get these <laughs> out of here. 
Throw these, this, this headset. Yeah. Hey, we could raffle them off. Anybody want some headsets? Oh, get it out of here. All right. Hey, folks, uh, you heard the beginning of the show, which was uh, Greta Thunberg. And, uh, of course, she pronounces it very differently because she's Swedish. Greta Thunberg. Greta. Something like that. Um, and uh, speaking... Uh, Recently at the at the UN and there's the climate strike uh, that was may have been the largest strike for uh, against climate change in the history mm-hmm. of the planet. Uh, some estimates four million people worldwide. And I look at that and I think, let's see, seven billion. Go, that, that's it. Four million. Yeah, it really. But that's but, still but good. that's still the largest one. That is still good. And there was another smaller one this past Friday. Uh, they should have, I guess they need to have them every Friday. Mm-hmm. Is that how that's going to work now? I have a feeling Cl- it may in some areas. Climate strike every Friday. Uh, and there's another big one scheduled for November. I'd have to look up the date, though. All right. Good. Now, question is, is it good enough? Is and anyone listening? That's the, that is the topic of today's show. Uh, with a guy who's been a guy named guy, who's been uh, thank you. See, and that's why we have <laughs> that's why, why we, we have the dingers. That's why we have the dingers. Uh, how many seconds was that? Ninety. That's you never give me a ninety second. You always give me a, a sixty or a two minute. What's this new thing? Ninety it's seconds. The new Andrew. I just forgot to do the two minute. <laughs> All right, he's just doing it to throw me off. It's what, first. It's the headsets, and then it's the ninety seconds, please. Forty three. I know exactly. Uh, Guy McPherson is on the program today. He's been on the program uh, before. He is a uh, internationally recognized speaker, uh, award-winning scientist, and the world's leading authority on abrupt climate change. Professor Emeritus from the University of Arizona. Uh, he was on the show. I want to say five years ago. Twenty fourteen. Wow. How do you? How did March you know? 30, 2014, According to what he had posted on a site. <laughs> He keeps track of it better than I do. Well, yeah. That's why he's on next. That's right. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the end of mankind. The end, You know, I, as I said on my my post on Facebook, strap in, folks. This is, this is w- way over on one side of the spectrum, uh, uh, one person's idea of what is happening. And there are people who agree with him. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, with Guy McPherson, Ph.D., stick around. He is also the uh, owner of Nature Bats Last, which is his blog. We'll be right back. Soil and plant health don't stop at harvest. Now is the critical time to set up for next season. And the products to use are from Tinyo Biologicals. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, the soil needs are the same. Feed those plants with spectrum and NutraNeed to get your soil ready for spring. The soil can make compost from field debris, so use Biodigester as well. Tinyo products from Blazing Star. Go to blazing-star.com. 
If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway? Zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four-pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5, 2019. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible to win, and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules, and all the other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. Closing my eyes to changes I refuse to see The bigger the fool, the harder the fall Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And Kathleen might appreciate that song because she's been watching the... uh, Ken Burns series mm-hmm. on country music. Yeah. That's Chris Christofferson. And the reason I'm playing that is because Guy McPherson uh, has that, uh, several Chris Christofferson songs mm-hmm. on uh, his website. And you can go to Nature Bats Last. It's actually, I believe, GuyMcPherson.com, right, Guy? That's correct, yes. Uh, and welcome back to the show. What is your fascination with Chris Christofferson? Well, I don't know. I grew up listening to him. I think he's a fantastic poet. And the best part about it is I can sing along. Anybody can sing along, and it doesn't really degrade the quality of the voice experience. (laughs) Uh, Well, I thought you were going to say anybody can sing at least as well as Chris Christopherson. uh, But what they cannot match is his songwriting. He's exactly uh, right. um, He's an astonishing songwriter, and so many of his words seem fitting to my life and have since I was eight years old. Uh, yeah, brilliant songwriter. So, uh, welcome to the show. And, uh, by way of, uh, introduction, uh, and it is McPherson, right? Not McPherson. Exactly. And in fact, when people pronounce it McPherson, it's just an opportunity for continued defamation. Look, he's McPherson. Okay. Um, a scientist and professor emeritus of natural resources and ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Arizona. Uh, you've written more than a dozen books and hundreds of uh, peer-reviewed articles, blogger, cultural critic. Uh, you co-host your own show, your own radio show. You don't need to be on this one, Guy. You've, uh, you're on Nature Bats Last. Um, and just this month, uh, Guy McPherson received the Jazz for Peace Honorary Ambassador Award. Past recipients include 
United States Congressional Representative Dennis Kucinich and American historian Howard Zinn. And I, uh, I'll tell you, uh, personally, I wouldn't mind being in the same company with Howard Zinn. Uh, yeah, so, it's, it's pretty good company, I'd say. Uh, so uh, congratulations yeah. on that. Congrats. Thank you. So uh, the last time you were on your sh- <laughs> and Peggy tells me that you posted that you were on with me March 30th, 2014. I had well, no— Well, this, this was—he didn't post it recently. This was in something else you had posted a while back. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. So you did that—you you were looking for me. I wasn't looking for me. I was looking for other <laughs> stuff because uh, I didn't exactly re- remember the date. I, I, I thought it was 2014, but—so uh, here we are, five years down the road, and— what I want to ask you is what's changed in five years, but keep that in mind. But before we do that, yeah, I was I was lying awake early this morning thinking, okay, how do, how do I open this conversation with Guy? Uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm aware of of your writings. I'm aware of the fact that you're controversial. But there are people listening to the show right now who millions who have never heard of you. Uh, and I'm not saying millions of people listening to the show. I'm just saying there's millions of people who have not heard of you, have not heard what you write and, and know what your viewpoints are. So I have to have you lay that out very briefly so we have a frame of reference for this conversation. Uh, so you can give me a two, three, four, five-minute elevator speech if you want, because I know if if folks go to Nature Bats Last, uh, and I wrote this on my blog yesterday you you could get sucked down a rabbit hole and never come out because you have so many links you have so much information uh you could you could be studying that site for weeks and and then and then and then of course you would want to uh google or uh, go to a search engine and find uh references about the things you write about because if you're going to check what guy has to say mm-hmm. you want to check what other people have to say about the same thing so what would that elevator speech be to somebody who has never heard you before? Well, the really short version is from February 2018, when Dan Coates, director of national intelligence in the Trump administration, said that we are in the midst of abrupt climate change. Add that together with the headline from The Telegraph in Great Britain from two days ago, which reads, Climate change now irreversible due to warming oceans, UN body warns. That's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Mm -hmm. Change. You add those two together, abrupt climate change, irreversible climate change. We're in the midst of abrupt, irreversible climate change. So that's the very short version of the story. The somewhat longer version of the story rooted in evidence is that there's a December 26, 2018, peer-reviewed paper by Burke and colleagues in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. It relies upon the IPCC's representative concentration pathways, which have repeatedly proven too conservative when compared to actual changes. And that paper concludes we're headed for a Pliocene climate as early as 2030. So that's how rapidly we are warming the planet, given this set of living arrangements. Civilization is a heat engine based on the laws of thermodynamics, and yet... Look at the other side of the coin. What if we manage to slow or turn off civilization, industrial civilization? That, in fact, warms the planet even faster because of something called the aerosol masking effect or global dimming. A paper published in Science by Daniel Rosenfeld and colleagues on February 8th of this year suggests, and then in an interview, Daniel Rosenfeld 
further reiterates the point, less than a 20% reduction in industrial activity will drive a global average temperature rise of one degree Celsius within a matter of days or weeks. The vast majority of life on Earth cannot keep up with that rate of change. So we're warming the planet with this set of living arrangements, industrial civilization, whatever you want to call it, and slowing the this set of living arrangements heats the planet even faster. It's the doomed if you are, doomed if doomed if you do, doomed if you don't scenario, basically. Okay. End the show, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Uh turn out the lights. That part of it is to me, guy, uh very scary. The idea that we could try to stop industry and get airplanes out of the skies. And you say airplanes cause a lot of this problem. Is that right? right. Yes, absolutely. And and you're not, let's, let's be clear here. You're not talking about chemtrails. All right. Chemtrails. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's tinfoil hat stuff um, where people believe that the government is conducting secret experiments uh, to change the weather, uh, alter mankind uh humanity i guess and uh uh you're saying no it's just a a matter a function of having so many airplanes in the skies at one point that what is that doing to our atmosphere well the contrail effect is very short term and this was observed on september 14th Mm -hmm. 2001 when planes in the united states were grounded for three days and a, a profound change in the temperature of the earth resulted in only three days because of the relative absence of contrails in the atmosphere very quickly. But that contrail effect is different from the greenhouse gas effect. So, and and I don't want to go down that path because it's probably too much information to cover in the short time we have here, Mm -hmm. but at least temporarily those contrails protect us from incoming radiation much like the aerosol masking effect does, or global dimming. Those particulates associated with global dimming are not the same as the ones associated with contrails. So you can see how this gets a little messy. Yeah, it does. Contrails that that serve to not only keep the planet protected from additional warming, but they also warm the planet by retaining nighttime temperatures at a high level. So Let's keep this relatively simple. If we continue with greenhouse gas emissions, we'll obviously continue to warm the planet. We were warned in 2006 by James Hansen that we only have 10 years to fix this. We didn't. We were warned by the, the, by the New York director of the United Nations Environment Program in 1989 that we had 10 years left. We didn't fix anything. In fact, in the last 25 years, we've added more greenhouse gases to the atmosphere than in our entire run as a species before that. So, We're not slowing things down, and due to the knowledge of the aerosol masking effect, that's probably a good thing. And and the last 15 presidents, by the way, have known about the aerosol masking effect. The first paper on the topic came out in 1929. So we've known about this for a long time. It's one of those bits of information that is not well distributed, we'll say, not well published, not promulgated by governments or corporate media, that sort of thing. Why? Because, and and I wrote about this in my latest paper in September issue of the, uh, what's it called? Clinical Psychology Forum, peer-reviewed journal, Clinical Psychology Forum. Why Why would we not be told? Well, if we're not told, then certain people can, can continue to push the message of we need to conserve. 
But we've known since 1865, when William Stanley Jevons wrote his book, The Coal Question, we've known about Jevons' paradox. There's, no, there's basically no such thing as conservation. So if you and I conserve, you and me and the entire middle class and a whole bunch of people in other countries can conserve the use of a finite material, other people will use that same material. I think you can see where this is going. If I don't use it, <laughs> you will use it. If we don't use it, the 1% will use it. What's not to like? So promulgating the idea of conservation, and bear in mind, I'm a conservation biologist. I was in the School of Natural Resources and the Environment. I'm <laughs> For years, I taught the, the good news about conservation. But when we're talking about a large population with a finite material, it doesn't play out. The other side of Jevons' paradox is the more efficient we become at using any finite material, the faster we use it up. Mm -hmm. So what happened in the wake of 2008, the global financial crisis? And engines, automobile engines, became more efficient. How, and what did they do with the efficiency? They didn't improve fuel efficiency. They added more power to the engines. So the big motor companies made the engines more powerful because we have harnessed that efficiency. So where this leads is to an absolute mess. We've been, we've been misinformed or uninformed about the aerosol masking effect since at least 1929 for the last 90 years. Why have we not been told? I suspect it's because certain people stand to benefit in ways that the rest of us won't. You know, uh, you talk about the uh, use of materials. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a friend of mine on the show um, who's written a, a book about aluminum, and he calls it Aluminum Upcycled. And his one of his points was that we're really good at recycling aluminum. It's, it's some of the original, you know, once we figured out how to get the element in, in a state where we could use it, which was the early 1900s, uh, some of that same aluminum is still being recycled because it's that efficient a process. However, at the same time, we're still mining mm -hmm. for aluminum at ever greater rates. So it doesn't do us any good to recycle it if we're going to keep mining it because it's an extremely uh, destructive process. And, and remember in the 1960s when we were told reduce, reuse, recycle in that order because that's the order that matters? If we reduce as individuals, we get everybody around us to reduce their consumption. And then we reuse the materials we have. Recycling becomes irrelevant. Why are we only recycling? Because that makes money for a few people, a lot of money for a few people. Mm -hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, relatively unimportant. That's not to say I don't recycle. It's not to say that I don't reduce. It's not to say I don't reuse. I do all of those things. But I know the futility of the exercise. That brings me to, you know, I'm constantly pointed out as being the bad person because, <laughs> because I'm, quote, encouraging inaction from people or whatever, that I'm, that I'm actually encouraging people to use materials faster. I want to quote Viktor Frankl from his 1946 book, Man's Search for Meaning, which was very influential for me when I first read it 30 years ago. And I've recently come across again this paragraph. Between a stimulus and a response, there is a space. In that space is the power to choose our response 
in our response lies our growth and our freedom. The last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances. I'm providing the, the stimulus here. You and I, Mike, and also Peggy, are providing the stimulus. It's the stimulus. We're providing this information to people. Between the stimulus and the response, the, what might be viewed in some cases as a knee-jerk reaction, is a space. I would encourage people to not use the knee-jerk reaction. In that space is the power to choose our response. Think about it. How are you going to respond? I'm merely presenting evidence here published in the peer-reviewed literature. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. The last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances. I would say we have something else going on, too. Mm -hmm. We get to choose our actions, not just our attitudes, in the face of this information. How are you going to act now that you know, now that it's been confirmed, something you knew since you were 11, that you were given a terminal diagnosis at birth? Really good point. And uh, that takes us to what it is that you believe, which is that we have passed, we have crashed through all of the stop signs uh, and uh, we're at the point of no return and we'd better figure out how to deal with it. In fact, you you uh, put an argument for a hospice. Mm -hmm. It's time to pursue hospice uh, as a planet is what you say. And you, you said that in a speech uh, several months ago. You've got 60 seconds. We'll break for a short time and then get right back. Briefly, how would you explain a living life in hospice? Yeah, in, in my May 2019 article in Clinical Psychology Forum, again, the peer-reviewed journal article, I point out how we might pursue hospice, planetary hospice. And basically, it comes down to this. What do people do when they're in hospice? They tell the truth. They, they tell every version of the truth. They complete relationships in their lives. If I'm going to die in a month or six months or a year, I'm not going to lie to you anymore. I'm going to tell you I love you. I'm going to seek your forgiveness and so on. Okay, we'll be right back with Guy McPherson. Soil and plant health don't stop at harvest. Now is the critical time to set up for next season. And the products to use are from Tinyo Biologicals. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, the soil needs are the same. Feed those plants with spectrum and Nutri-Need to get your soil ready for spring. Go to blazing-star.com. The soil can make compost from field debris, so use Biodigester as well. Tinyo products from Blazing Star. Go to blazing-star.com. If you love to landscape with trees and you haven't been to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock, you've missed out on their collection of unique conifers and rare deciduous trees. Unfortunately, after 31 years in business, they're closing their doors at the end of 2019. So now is the time to take advantage of 40% off for container trees and 30% off in-ground trees. There's still a good supply of pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods. Many of the cultivars are dwarf in form or have unusual shapes, such as weeping, mounding, columnar, or angular. Like I said, these are not your grandfather's conifers. If you've been to the Shedd Aquarium, the Lincoln Park Conservatory, or the Chicago Botanic Garden, you've seen some of these fantastic trees. Go to Rich's Fox Willow Pines for more information. Follow them on Facebook and sign up for the e-newsletter. Every hard rock and wreck on the highway Every heartbroken rule of the road 
thing we rode on the wind is still singing. Love is the last thing to go. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, another Chris Christopherson song. Uh, again, that I found on uh, the website Nature Bats Last. Uh, as I said on my blog, uh, if you get all the way to the bottom, you don't have to believe everything a uh, guy says. Uh, you don't have to understand it. You probably won't. I don't. I'm not a scientist. I don't understand everything. Uh, I think it's worth reading. I think it's worth getting into your brain. Give, given that this is a point of view you don't hear that mm-hmm. often. Right, you hear you hear the, the the climate change skeptics. They're out there. You hear the middle of the rotors. They're out there. You don't hear this very often, which is we're screwed, and we need to address that somehow. And the way that that Guy McPherson does is, as you say in your site, love. It's live a good, full life. Do what you can right now, knowing how that's going to play out. Yeah. And you know, the, the difficult part for me and most other people is living with urgency in light of the terminal diagnosis we were given at birth and continuing to live with urgency because it's exhausting. You know, if you have something you call a bucket list, if you have relationships you want to complete, if you want to apologize to somebody and seek forgiveness and you ratchet that up to every relationship in your life, if you want to tell those people that you love them and, and now is the time to say goodbye, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years, 17 years or so, and it's exhausting. <laughs> you know, it was, it was Homer in the Iliad who wrote, any moment might be your last. And he was writing about how spectacular it is to be humans and have any moment maybe your last. And he was he was pointing he pointed out before then that the gods envy us because they have to do it every day. And having done it every day for the last 17 years, I promise you it's exhausting. It's also very fulfilling. It's also gratifying to go into the world and acknowledge that I might never be able to take out the garbage again. I might never be able to do the laundry again. We view those as mundane tasks, and they are, but there's also some beauty in them. How many people in the history of the world have ever had a washing machine, for example, to wash their clothes? How many people in the history of the world have ever had a garbage can? You just put your garbage in there, and then it magically disappears three days later when this big truck comes along and hauls it away. You know, that's part of yeah. our problem, guy. All right. As you know, there's no such thing as a way. And, Absolutely. But we grew up believing that, especially in the United States. So very, we're a very privileged country. And uh, it's good for people to understand how privileged they've been to, uh, to live here. But you have a lot of critics uh, out there. Um, and really? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just guessing. Uh, <laughs> one or two. Uh, and one of the tamer uh, criticisms came actually from Skeptical Science, uh, who called you uh, an alarmist a couple of years ago. They write, there are a few reasonably well-known individuals who could accurately be described as climate alarmists. The most prominent is Guy McPherson, who decided in 2002 that climate change would likely drive humans to extinction by 2030. 16 years later, 
We're now more than halfway to 2030, and the global human population has grown from 6.3 billion to 7.6 billion. It's quite safe to say we won't go extinct in the next few decades. How do you respond to that? Really? (laughs) That's what Francis Bacon called the idol of the den, I-D-O-L, the Mm -hmm. idol of the den. Just because it hasn't happened, therefore it won't happen. Really? That makes logical sense to you? then I don't think you belong in a scientific, rational conversation, period. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening right now that people said could never happen. For example, people fleeing Central America, where I lived for about two and a half years, because they no longer have habitat for humans there, because they're unable to grow food. People fleeing the Middle East and Northern Africa. I was on tour in Western Europe more than five years ago, and the average European was outraged at the flood of immigrants coming in from the Middle East and Northern Africa. People that don't look quite like us were invaded the country. How about the South Pacific where island nations are going underwater? So people are fleeing for their lives there. The list goes on. These are the kinds of things that people said would never happen. And yet they're happening. How's this one for you? In the last four years, there have been five tropical storms in the Atlantic. That's never happened before. Oh, in fact, there are five hurricanes, category four or more. That's never happened before. There's all kinds of things happening around the planet that have never happened before. One of the near-term things that is almost certain to happen within the next few years is an ice-free Arctic. Ask any scientist when that will occur, and I doubt if you get a response that goes beyond 2030, because... It's clear that we are very near an ice-free Arctic event now. Yeah, well, you know, we had one of the scientists uh, claimed it would hap- have happened by now, and he's taking some heat, uh, no pun intended, uh, because it hasn't happened at this point. And this is what happens if, and that's the danger, I guess, of making predictions. Uh, we have a meteorologist on our show, Rick DeMaio, uh, who says, I don't want to go more than a week out because it's, it's, you really get into shaky territory. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And Vyslav Maslowski is the person you're talking about. He was the lead author on a paper in the journal Annual Review of Earth and Planetary Sciences, came out in 2012. And what the article pointed out by him and three other co-authors was a projection, not a prediction that's been misunderstood as a prediction, but it was actually a projection. Based on existing data, if we continue a linear decline with respect to the ice in the Arctic, then we could expect an ice-free Arctic in 2016, plus or minus three years. So they were just projecting based on the information they had, which at the time only went up to 2007. And so I had a conversation with Maslowski a few months ago, and he pointed out that we have better tools now. And so they don't predict an ice-free Arctic to occur within that time frame, including 2019, which is the last of the seven years that would have fit into that time frame. Mm-hmm. But we also need to recognize that the research by Natalia Zhukova and colleagues pointing to a, a tremendous release of methane from the Arctic is not dependent upon an ice-free Arctic. And that's clearly underway. You look at the methane in the atmosphere, it's gone exponential. So there's a bunch of different pieces that to me add up to an overheated planet, 410 parts, roughly 410 parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, uh, two and a half times as much methane in the atmosphere as we had at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, that methane is being spewed by the permafrost, terrestrial permafrost, 
and also from the Arctic Ocean. You know, there's all kinds of factors that have contributed to overheating the planet and will continue to do so. And I don't see much information out there about how to cool the planet. We're at the hottest planet ever experienced by Homo sapiens, and we don't know how to cool the planet. That's a serious problem. And as you mentioned, methane is a, is a huge part of that. It's not just a carbon dioxide. Uh, and, and you mentioned methane in the context of feedback loops. Well, would you like to explain that to folks who might not understand that concept? Yeah, a feedback loop or a self-reinforcing feedback loop. I, I like that phrase a little bit better because it, it tells you that it's self-reinforcing. Once you push the snowball, so you, so you make a big snowball, for example, in the wintertime, back when we had snow, and you make it on a hill, and you get this big snowball, maybe three feet in diameter, and you push it down a steep hill. And the further it goes, the more snow it picks up along the way. The more snow it picks up along the way, the more inertia, the more moment, momentum it has to continue going down the hill. All you had to do was push it. All we had to do was push it with respect to the climate system. And we did. And now the system has taken over itself. This is one of the things that the director of the New York office of the United Nations Environment Program said back in 1989. It was released by Associated Press. You can find it in any archive of any major newspaper in the United States. He was talking about self-reinforcing feedback loops by which the system overcomes our ability to control it to the extent we have ever had any ability to control the climate. Those days are behind us now. You look at uh, the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on, on Climate Change and other political forces as slow-moving, obviously, and timid, cautious, uh, way too cautious. Uh, what can be done, if anything? And I know this is – it's an odd question to ask, given you've already said we should go into hospice. Uh, can, is there anything that can be done? Oh, yes. Not at the level of society, not at the level of government. Of course not. We have, we have begun the, the process that is irreversible. We are in the midst of abrupt, irreversible climate change. There is nothing to be done about that to slow, stop, or reverse abrupt, irreversible climate change. However, we can live. You know, there's a lot of people in this world who are going to die without ha ever having experienced what they wanted to do with their lives. There's a lot of people who are alive, but we look at them and it doesn't seem like they're living to me and to you, or at least not living fully because they're trapped on a treadmill. Mm -hmm. they, they show up to work every day and they continue that work and the bars that they are building, the bars that they are putting up to build their own cage are the expectations of others. Why did I go to work all those years at an ungodly hour in the morning to stay until an ungodly hour at night? Because that was the expectation of society. That's what professors do. They're influencing young minds. They're teaching during the day and conducting research in the morning and at night. And this is the expectation that is had of of what professors shall do. And so I did. And I don't think most of us realize that we are living our lives according to the expectations of others. Almost nobody would admit that. But if you think about the treadmill you've built for yourself 
or maybe that society is built for you, there's probably a pretty good likelihood that you're not in complete control of what you're doing every day. Right. So, you know, there's even a paper that's come out since most of the criticism launched my way. This paper was published the 13th of November, 2018. It was by a couple of biologists named Strona and Bradshaw. And the title is Coextinctions Annihilate Planetary Life During Extreme Environmental Change. And the extreme environmental change is five or six degrees Celsius. Well, we're almost certainly headed there with an ice-free Arctic, for example. If we destroy all life on Earth, I'd say there's a pretty good chance that includes most of us, too. Most humans are alive, some a lot more than others, obviously. But if we destroy all life on Earth, we're not going to have human beings on this planet. And so that's my message. That's my warning that I've been sounding for a long time. Increasingly, my message has the support of the peer-reviewed literature. And uh, we need to take a break. News. All right. We'll be back with Guy McPherson. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa, citygrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are today the alternative to Ken Burns uh, country music. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, but that's all I got. I don't, I don't, I don't have as we, much as he does. We don't have the video to go with it. Uh, and we're talking to Guy McPherson, a professor emeritus from University of Arizona, and we're talking about the end of the world. All right, as simple as that. Uh, can you take a phone call, uh, Guy? Oh yes, 
Uh, let's let, let's let's put uh, Amtrak Tim on Amtrak Tim. I haven't heard from you in a long time. How you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm another another really uplifting show today. <laughs> Thank you. That's why You're I, welcome. I specialize in it. We do our best. Yeah. So, what do you want to ask a yeah. uh, uh, guy? I wanted to. I, I, the uh, in the, the uh, Thor Nuclear Conference, they've been talking a lot about the idea of running about 900 uh, thorium-based nuclear reactors and doing nothing but removing CO2 from the atmosphere. Literally, it's all they do. I'm wondering if he, if he believes if we, if we switch to a thorium uh, nuclear um, sort of energy system, could we, could we remove enough CO2 from the atmosphere to get ourselves to a stable situation? Uh, and I will, I will mention that uh, Tim has talked to me over the years about thorium nuclear energy, so I continue to kind of keep an eye on that. I've often wondered if uh, Tim, this is, uh, you don't have to answer this, but uh, I've often wondered if it, if it's so effective. Why isn't the world gravitating to it right now? But uh, it seems to me things have got to be better than the nuclear we have right now, which uh, we, we don't have any idea what to do with the waste from. But but that aside, uh, Guy, can you answer Tim's question? Yes, I think that's a great idea. Had we implemented it forty or fifty years ago, it might have delayed abrupt irreversible climate change but we've begun that process now we know that based on the laws of thermodynamics civilization is a heat engine and i suspect thorium reactors will continue to add to the heating on september 10th 2018 so a little more than a year ago the united nations secretary general antonio guterres said we have until 2020 to change course 2020 as I recall, that's only a couple of months from now, maybe three. Uh, how could we change course? There is no known way to cool the planet. Could we cool it through thorium reactors? It would surprise me. I think that's a lot better energy system than what we currently have in place. But I'm not sure that adding a bunch more energy to the system is going to solve the predicament created by adding energy to the system. Well, it's got to remember, nuclear energy is not adding CO2 to the system. It is removing the CO2, so you're able to reduce the amount of, uh, of heat that's going to be retained within the atmosphere. How, how, nuclear, how, I guess what, how, nuclear power plants are currently adding enormously to the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The cooling towers created by all that concrete are not carbon neutral until at least 20 or 30 years down the road. By that time, the nuclear power plants become unsafe and we start talking about decommissioning them. Not that we ever actually decommissioned very many, but we talk about it. So to claim that nuclear energy to date has not been a contributor to carbon dioxide emissions is naive. That is just not true. So you're saying... Direct what the FPC says as well as Dr. James Hansen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Dr. James Hansen. I, 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 would defer, I would defer to Dr. James Hansen on, on the carbon neutrality of nuclear energy. How about deferring to the evidence? How about deferring to what does it actually take to make concrete and in terms of the carbon dioxide emissions? It's an enormous contributor to carbon dioxide emissions. Cement, concrete, it's enormous. All right. Uh, we're going to leave it at that because I want to I wanna wrap this up. Tim, uh, I appreciate the phone call. Let's move on to wrap this up because one of the things I did want to get to is when I when I announced I was going to have you on the show, I had some people warn me uh, that this is uh, this this might be uh, playing with fire. I, I, you know, five years ago when I talked, I didn't uh, feel that way at all, uh, and and it's interesting to hear it. But you 
you engender a lot of passion, both positive and negative. That's got to be part of what makes it hard to do this every single day, I would guess. Of course. You know, had I a non-existent choice, I would go back 20 years in time and, and not pursue the path I've been on. I've had very little impact on very few people. It, promulgating this message has essentially destroyed my very destroyed my very privileged life. I have been defamed, betrayed, plagiarized, probably as much as anybody in modern history. None of these things are happy for me. None of these things brings me joy. If I had an opportunity to wind back the clock, I would def- I would do what everybody else does, including James Hansen, by the way, which is to lie. By lie, lie by omission of the aerosol masking effect. Lie by omission of six dozen self-reinforcing feedback loops. Lie by omission about 410 parts per million being the most dangerous position we've ever been on. Lie by omission about being at least 1.7 degrees Celsius above the 1750 baseline. Instead, promoting the idea that we're around one degrees above the, the 1750 baseline. So, you know, there's all kinds of things I would do differently had I to do it over again. But now that I'm here, now that I'm telling the full truth, that puts me in the position of being increasingly willing to only speak the full truth because you can't take away from me anything that hasn't already been taken away from me, period. Well, you, uh, when I talked to you in 2014, you were living in Arizona mm-hmm. and you had basically given up on the comforts of life. As you say, you were <laughs> defecating in a bucket and uh, and then that, you know, I was thinking at that time, if the earth is heating, why are you living in Arizona? But uh, and at the time you told me uh, off air that it had been a mistake. And so you ended up moving to Belize and then now you're in New York, right? Yeah. And all of these moves of mine were based on compromise. Every relationship that we're serious about is rooted in compromise. So I established the homestead in New Mexico because of a compromise with my wife at the time. I, by the time I had lived there 10 years after starting the process, I realized that because of the aerosol masking effect, because of the catastrophic meltdown of more than 400 nuclear power facilities around the planet, that there was no way out. So it's time to live. Thus the move to Belize and the move here is based on familial issues mostly involving the near-term death of the uh, family members of my partner. So these are the compromises we make. Would I rather be living someplace than in New York State? Yes, I absolutely would. But I do what I do out of love, out of love for the truth, out of love for human individuals. And if it shortens my life, so what? At least I'm living my principles. Would you say, and we only have a minute left, would you say in the past five years that more people have begun to agree with you or have gone uh, the opposite way? I would, well, it's, it's difficult for me to say. I would say that the evidence certainly has become increasingly clear. There's an occasional person who is willing to agree with me in public, but only for a short time because what happens next is not very kind to that person. 
We're going to leave it at that. I want to thank you so much uh, for talking to us again. Guy McPherson, go to Nature Bats Last. You can uh, search that on an engine or go to GuyMcPherson.com. Were you going to add something there, Peggy? Uh, OnlyLoveRemains.org. Is this other site? Right. OnlyLoveRemains.org. Either of those and... And read up with it and read up with it with an open mind. Uh, Dr. McPherson, I hope we talk again soon. Thank you, Mike and Peggy. I hope we do as well. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Killer Asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. I got, I got to tell you, I, uh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm exhausted from that first hour. That was uh, pretty intense. It, he is. And it's... I. But the, calm. The reason I, I booked him on the show is... It's a message that needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. It, it just does. You, if you're gonna if you're gonna be honest about everything you got, everything out there, and and as I mentioned, talking to Guy McPherson, uh, the the climate change deniers get all the time in the world in various media, um, and the middle of the roaders get a lot of time as well. But there are very few people saying that you know we're really past the point where we can do much Mm -hmm. and we got to figure out what that means. And I'm not sure that it means the end of the world and the extinction. And, and, and actually I should have, uh, that was there. There's one of the questions that I was going to bring up and kind of flew out of my head is like, are you sure it's like everything's going to go extinct? How does that work? Every single microbe, every, everything. But because perhaps I, the the world has a way of healing itself anyway. Now I got to put my cheaters on. Because, oh, no, that's right, because I've got it on the uh, uh, on screen, on the computer. I've because there, and I've got it on patch. So. We, we wanted to do a plug for our friends at Music and Potlucks uh, because they've got a big deal coming up uh, next week, right? Sun- yeah. Sunday, October 6th. Music Folktober. And- Folk- that's right. And we celebrated Folktober last year. Yeah, it's Stephanie Schrote in studio and Mark Dvorak. And Mark Dvorak, uh, who, who is our buddy. In fact, uh, he, uh, 
Okay. He sounds a little bit like this. Yeah, he lost his mind. <laughs> Is that our theme song? I think so. For my pillow, cold, cold ground, my bed, blue skies, my blanket, moonlight, my spread on the yeah. Ain't that news? Andrew, I think that's a new outtake for the show. Got it. I think we can use that. Uh, I love Mark Dvorak, and he's uh, a good friend of the show. So it is next week. See, now I'm trying yep. to. So Music and Potlucks is a community organization that uses the power of song to support social agencies. And songwriting legend Michael Smith is going to be in the round at 5 p.m. Sunday, October 5th. And he's. Uh, I, I, okay. I can't I, hear I could, myself, by the I, way, Andrew. I, I, I could say that uh, he is a friend of mine. I haven't seen Michael Smith in years, but. Back, but he's a friend of yours. But he's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, uh, he and Barbara Barrow um, worked with my theater company. Well, Barbara did. And then Mike Michael Smith has done theater and music in Chicago forever. He wrote a wonderful song called The Dutchman, but he's re- written a oh, lot yeah. of... Yeah, that's... Which... Um, which uh, 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 what's his name? Steve Goodman. Thank you. I was going to say, go Cubs, go guy. <laughs> Which is Steve just, Goodman recorded which is the Dutchman. Just sad because Steve Goodman is so much better than Go Cubs Go. But Steve Goodman recorded it, and it was a hit with Steve Goodman, but Michael Smith uh, wrote it. Mm-hmm. So Michael Smith is going to be He's there. He's going to be there. Heather Steika and Chicago's official troubadour, Mark Dvorak, is going to be there. So At Fitzgerald's Nightclub at 6615 Roosevelt Road in Berwyn. Mm-hmm. What time? At, at 5 o'clock. And actually, uh, at 4 o'clock, Mark is doing a vocal workshop. Five o'clock. Um, <laughs> Maybe I should attend. There's a... Maybe we can get Chris Christofferson to attend. <laughs> uh, there's a whole bunch of different things happening that evening, and you can go on their website and find that. Uh, but all the profits are going to support Beyond Hunger, formerly called Oak Park River Forest Food Pantry, as well as Housing Forward and the Oak Park River Forest Community Foundation. So this event is always the big fall fundraiser to help support groups that are helping people who um, aren't doing as well, people who are hungry, people who have needs. And that's why we love them uh, and uh, potlucks, music and potlucks. Uh, and so mm-hmm. uh, see if you can uh, go to musicandpotlucks.org if you want that information about the event and uh, show up if you can. And there's a button right there, get tickets. Takes you to brown paper tickets, boom, done. I wanted to say one more thing, and it sort of relates back to our conversation in the first hour with Guy McPherson. And it's on the website. Go to MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Um, I did a talk last week at a garden club, and one of the things I brought up was were a couple of stories that came out this year about insect Armageddon and bird apocalypse. <laughs> and... I was doing some research yesterday in anticipation of having a guy on the show and found a couple of articles that said, you know, the science behind that and the reporting, the journalism behind it might have been a little shaky. Uh, and it may not be as bad mm-hmm. as we think it is uh, if it had been reported in a different way because, it, you know, it depends on which bird species you're talking about. What are the, what's, yeah. what's the baseline for that and 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 just go to my website and go scroll all the way down to the bottom of the conversation with uh, Guy McPherson and you'll find 
the two stories that are on there. One is about what might have been inaccurate reporting regarding the insect apocalypse, and the other one is about the bird loss. Mm -hmm. And both of them say, you know, the science may not have been the best on those reports, so we might not be in as dire shape as we think. And again, that's the job of a journalist. Just keep digging and digging and digging until you find the truth. All right, we're talking chickens and the city next. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When you want the best science for your trees, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. They pioneered integrated pest management, or IPM, in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Soil and plant health don't stop at harvest. Now is the critical time to set up for next season. And the products to use are from Tinyo Biologicals. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, the soil needs are the same. Feed those plants with spectrum and Nutri-Need to get your soil ready for spring. Go to blazing-star.com. The soil can make compost from field debris, so use Biodigester as well. Tinyo products from Blazing Star. Go to blazing-star.com. The 12th annual McHenry County College Green Living Expo returns on Saturday, November 2nd, and it's packed with cool, sustainable exhibits and learning experiences. The Clean Transportation Exhibit features luxury electric vehicles. There are workshops on regenerative agriculture, composting, and recycling. Visit with area farms, CSAs, and other organizations to learn more about local agriculture. There are more than 100 area businesses and organizations offering green exhibits, taste local food, go on the sustainable artist walk, and tour the beautiful new MCC greenhouse and high tunnels. The Green Living Expo is free and open to the public. Peggy and I will be there. Come and join us. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 2nd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash green expo or contact the MCC Office of Sustainability at 815-479-7765. Dutchman's not the kind of man to keep his thumb jammed in the dam that holds his dreams in. But that's a secret only Margaret knows. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and that, of course, is Michael Smith, who will be at the Music and Potlucks event, Folktober, next Sunday. So, uh, and one more time, Peggy, do you have that in front of you? Where? It's going to be Fitzgerald's in Berwyn, and you can go to musicandpotlucks.org to buy your tickets. Okay. Just wanted to, had to get a little uh, Michael Smith on the show as well, especially that song. If you thought things were crazy in Washington, D.C. this week, uh, you weren't behind the scenes 
uh, <laughs> with the urban agriculture folks in the city of Chicago. Uh, it seems like it was just as nutty uh, a week here. And I know because uh, I was talking to a lot of these folks and a lot of folks. <laughs> there, I've got email chains that stretch 30 <laughs> 30 messages, and you have to figure out how to file those and then find anything in one of those things, but that's what's going on. So uh, today we have on the show Laura Calvert, who is the Executive Director of Advocates for Urban Agriculture. She's on the Skype machine. How are you doing, Laura? Hey, I'm well. Thanks for having me. And thanks for Skyping in. I don't she's know. Zooming. Oh, she's Zooming. You're Zooming in. Sorry <laughs> about that. The Zoom we've, machine. We've upgraded here. The the Zoomboni machine. That's she's Zoom, 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 Zooming. And on the phone, we have Martha Boyd, who is with Chicagoland Chicken Enthusiasts, also with Angelic Organics Learning Center. How you doing, Martha? Doing great. Thanks, as always. Uh, uh, my pleasure. So h- how do we start this? I think it starts with, it, it was kind of funny, Martha and I had a phone call uh, a little, about a week and a half ago, um, and we were talking about one thing and another, and uh, I was talking about rumblings that there were going to be some changes in laws regarding livestock in the city of Chicago, and <laughs> I remember very distinctly, Martha, you said, oh, we don't have to worry about that. I don't see anything on the horizon right now. And then the next day, the next day, this bombshell drops from uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward, where he he says that he's going, he had introduced an ordinance um, that would revise the codes uh, regarding livestock in the city uh, of Chicago, including banning roosters, including imposing some fees and some fines and and other things, uh, and you never saw people move so fast in your life. Uh, the behind the scenes folks, uh, the urban agriculture commu- uh, community said, "What? Are you kidding me?" And so, and, and why didn't you ask us? Uh, well, that was one of the questions, and, and we'll and we'll get to that. So uh, by Tuesday, uh, Laura Calvert, who's on uh, the, uh, the Zoom with us right now was on Chicago Tonight and WTTW talking about this with the aldermen. And by the end of the week, there was a statement that was put out by a bunch of groups. Um, and you can find it at my website, MikeNovak.net, or you can go to Advocates for Urban Agriculture. You can go to other places and find the statement and uh, an action link uh, where you can um, – Right to your alderman. Obviously, you need to live in the city of Chicago. So uh, we'll we'll talk about all of that. So let's start with with you, Laura. What was your initial reaction to the uh, announcement by the alderman? My reaction was total shock and surprise. Um, this ordinance feels like a solution that's in search of a problem, and you know what's been going on or what we've been hearing from Alderman Lopez or Napolitano is some pretty, I think, isolated and rare events that I don't think create an overwhelming issue here in the city with livestock. Also, we were very surprised that no one was consulted on this ordinance. Um, You know, we have uh, extensive urban agriculture network here that's worked very collaboratively with the city of Chicago. And to see this ordinance kind of get pulled out of nowhere and introduced was surprising. I, and I think that's, that's really a major point. Um, 
it seems as if the ordinance, as you say, came out of nowhere and the groups that have been working with the city for a decade or more sitting down and discussing and revising laws and making them smarter and fairer. Uh, None of those groups were consulted on this. All right. So, yeah, it was a bit uh, of a sucker punch. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the uh, the groups uh, and and, and you mentioned uh, some of the uh, issues of birds. You've seen some reporting, particularly in Block Club Chicago, about birds uh, and other animals getting loose in the city. I went back and looked at the, the one from August 20th, Block Club reporting on that. And it was, the things they mentioned were the chickens that were rescued from a cockfighting uh, outfit, which is like 100. But they didn't say that they all, well, they did say they came from one building. But what happens is it gets conflated so that this is a problem because there were, did you know, in our ward, there were a hundred chickens that uh, got released. Yeah, they weren't uh, or, just or walking down the street. It no. was one specific thing. <laughs> it was, right, one incident. Uh, and they right. ta- talked about a horse, and then it turns out the owner of the horse uh, brought it into the city to, to, to show to kids. I mean, there, the, there seemed the, to be... The, the it, two goats that the owner had put there, yeah. Uh, on purpose, right. There didn't. If you read the article closely, there didn't seem to be a problem at all, or at least not the kind they were talking about. But so, uh, Martha, I want to get back to you because you and I sat down on Friday after you had a meeting with the city of Chicago. So part of the follow-up to this is is that you're talking to the city. Can you tell me about uh, that meeting and how you thought it went? Yeah, that meeting was initiated by Chicago Animal Care and Control because they have um – been working on this for a long time, and so they initiated the meeting, brought in some animal rescue groups, and then some urban agriculture um, and backyard um, livestock representatives. And we all sat around the table and talked about more of the the issues and figuring out um, problem solving, any actual issues, (laughs) and also background on what you said. We've all been working on these um, topics for a long time collaboratively, and we have a lot of information already um, prepared to share with the city, and that's the, those are the next steps for us. And you mentioned uh, Chicago Animal Care and Control. Uh, Rue Crew was part of this meeting. What's the um, CAS? I'm, I'm blanking on the, um, what's that stand for? Uh, Chicago Animal, Animal Save. Save. Right, okay, right. S-A-V. They've been working on the issue of and we want to track down and understand more about the degree that there may be a problem of animals being released um, when people can't take care of them. But for the last 10 years or so that the Chicagoland chicken enthusiasts have existed as a network, we've worked, um, that, that group of people have worked really hard just to solve problems within um, within the community of people that are keeping backyard livestock. And I really see that as the best, um, approach is mm-hmm. to make sure that people get good information, are in communication with each other, and um, can intervene with each other. Because usually somebody who needs to give up an animal um, for whatever reason wants to do it responsibly and um, take good care of the animal. And so other folks are usually there to step right in and help them. And, and one of the things that happened just last weekend by coincidence, maybe it wasn't, I don't know, was your annual 
Windy City Coop and Eco Yard Tour. So uh, I understand actually one alderman took advantage and came out to see on the ground how these animals are being cared for and, and treated in Chicago. Yeah, we've definitely had other aldermen out other years, but it just the timing of things was such that the alderman had already heard from a, a constituent about the livestock ordinance and was invited um, to come out and take a look at, at some sites on the tour, and he did. This was um, alderman was spotted in the first ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the, for us, that's the best case scenario is that people see it um, the way people actually do it in their yard so that it's not just an anecdote and it's not sort of whatever their imaginations are concocting <laughs> about what this looks like. Yeah, we can't let let their imaginations in on this. Uh, so what were, what were folks uh, saying, uh, and we'll get back to you in a second here, Laura, but uh, Martha, what was the reaction of the, the chicken owners um, on the tour to the news that this ordinance was being proposed? People on the tour and in the networks overall are um, worried, a little panicky. Some people are like, that's why I live in Chicago. If this passes, I'm moving. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are people who love their animals, their pets, and or just considered members of the family even, and so they can't imagine just being told you have to get rid of them. That goes for the roosters as well as the hens. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people who are just ready to step up and talk to their aldermen and do what they can to uh, prevent the livestock ordinance from going through as it's proposed. Well, let's get into that for a second, uh, the, the rooster question. That seems to be um, a focal point. That's a lightning rod for, for these kinds of discussions because you hear people complain about roosters. But as I heard other people say uh, this during this past week, dogs are just as loud as roosters, and they, you don't hear people saying we need to ban dogs in the city. Or limit uh, them or raise the license fees. Uh, right. Um, so uh, do you see that as, as an issue, Laura? Um, I think the ordinance causes more harm than um, it does good around that issue. I think, you know, the, the real problem is that it's going to put these uh, rooster rescues at risk for sheltering roosters or the farmed animals that that this ordinance wants to propose. And we advocate for good practices around keeping roosters if family so chooses. So, you know, having a sound insulated coop, Mm -hmm. not letting the rooster out until, you know, eight o'clock in the morning or later. And also just to remind folks that, yeah, Dogs and roosters have the same decibel level with their noise. It's about 90 decibels. And so, you know, if we really want to have a conversation around noise in the city, let it be comprehensive and include other uh, noise issues like dogs barking and leaf blowers and car alarms. <laughs> yeah, car alarms. I like the leaf blower thing myself. I, I <laughs> yes. Can, can we do lawnmowers at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. on a Saturday? Come All on now. I'm trying to sleep. So one of the questions I had when I read it, has there been any discussion even, you know, you were saying how the uh, rescue organizations would be compromised as well. Was there any mention from the alderman of they might be exempt? He has not mentioned that at all, um, not in the ordinance or when we were on Chicago tonight. I think there's a lot of unintended consequences and um, contingencies that, 
were not considered upon the development of the ordinance, which is frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and that, by the way, uh, a lot of this information, in, and I hope, Ellie, you've had a chance to repost, uh, she's nodding, uh, on Facebook, uh, the link. And she to, uh, tweeted it. I post, posted it on my website, mikenovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, and you can find uh, the joint statement made by these groups. And by the way, the groups include Advocates for Urban Agriculture, Chicago Animal Save, Chicago Food Policy Action Council, Chicago Roo Crew, Chicagoland Chicken Enthusiasts, Home to Roost, Illinois Environmental Council, Urban Growers Collective. I believe we're adding the Humane Society of the United States to the list. You're nodding, Laura. Uh, yes, as well as the Little Village Environmental Justice Organization. Uh, and that is to take uh, to a meeting on Monday. Now, what's that all about, Laura? So, um, yeah, we uh, advocacy partners had a meeting with the city on Friday, and we were told that um, the city will be meeting with Alderman Lopez on Monday to discuss the ordinance in full and also to raise their concerns as well as our concerns as advocacy partners. Mm -hmm. Okay. And some of what the proposal, it's not just, again, I'm going to emphasize it's not just uh, roosters, uh, that that becomes a focal point, that becomes a lightning rod. But some of what would happen under the ordinance proposed by Alderman Lopez are uh, it would require uh, folks possessing fowl or livestock to obtain a livestock permit from the Commissioner of Health for $25 per animal, which must be renewed annually. If you if you got a lot of chickens, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of, of some kind of regulation, and again, I heard this talk uh, l- last week among the various folks involved in this, the stakeholders, if you will. Regulating is not a problem. It's let's regulate smart. Mm-hmm. Right, Laura? Yes. Um, and let's, you know, have a conversation first with the stakeholders. And I mean, we take a position overall that we find education to be far more effective than legislation. And, um, you know, we want to, if we're introducing an ordinance, it should be solving a problem. And we need to identify really what the problem is here in the city of Chicago, and then work collaboratively together to solve that in a way that doesn't you know, restrict families' um, right and freedom to to raise their own food. Uh, and it, and it's something that, as I mentioned earlier, and we mentioned earlier, has been negotiated over a long time with the city. The idea of uh, uh, of how we can do this in a in a safe <laughs> but fair way. All right, we're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we'll be back with Laura Calvert from Advocates for Urban Agriculture, Martha Boyd from Chicagoland Chicken Enthusiasts. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking livestock. Did you know that there are 17,000 chemicals used in the array of common household cleaners? But only 30% of these are tested for side effects on human health and the environment. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. The average household has 3 to 25 gallons of toxic materials in the house, most of which are cleaning products. When buying cleaning products, avoid anything that bears a poison label, duh, but especially products that contain diethylene glycol, 
formaldehyde-based deodorizers, triclosan, phenols, petroleum solvents, perchloroethylene, and other hard-to-pronounce stuff. Check out sites like EWG.org, who have done the homework for you already. Or make your own. It's an easy, non-toxic solution. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Martha knew this was coming. <laughs> and Laura's laughing. <laughs> Extra points if you can name who that is, Laura. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Martha, do you know? Who sings it? I don't. Oh, okay. The Hen House 5 plus 2. Oh, of course. Every, <laughs> the think, classic. It's a classic. All right. All right that's enough. And I, I just had to do that. It's uh, and I'm glad... Earlier, you referenced my first crush, Mighty Mouse, earlier in your show. Oh, really? When did I talk yes. about... Might have been the Mighty exciting. House. Oh, it was uh, Mighty you, House, but... Yeah, you, you played you, it. But you played the Mighty Mouse. Oh yeah, yeah. It was one of the uh, the promos that we play uh, on the station here. Yep, that's but, well, and that's of course about Mighty House Home Improvement Radio, which is on Saturday mornings from seven to ten, right here on Chicago Smart Talk, Roof fifteen ninety WCGO. Ban that dog! That dog is too loud. All right. Can, have you got a bird or something, Laura, that you could also have contribute to the conversation? Sadly, no. All right. You guys hang on just a second. I have to ask folks uh, if they've got a minute for their trees. Bartlett Tree Experts has some information on needle cast. If your conifer loses its needles by early to midsummer, they were cast off your tree. Uh, and you could have one of a variety of conifer foliage diseases. These diseases are usually more severe on young trees and trees growing outside of their native range. Yep, wet conditions favor the proliferation mm-hmm. of needle cast fungi, and boy, are we having wet conditions. Welcome to 2019. By early to midsummer, most of the infected needles have dropped or been cast off, leaving only the current season needles though diseased needles remain attached for some time on spruce and larch. 
Although few trees die from needle cast, there are serious diseases. They, these are serious diseases because they are unsightly and can lead to other issues. If you suspect needle cast or just want to have your trees inspected, contact a Bartlett tree expert arborist representative because every larch, every spruce, every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And we're talking to Laura Calvert from Advocates for Urban Agriculture and Martha Boyd from Chicagoland Chicken Enthusiasts and Angelic Organics Learning Center. I uh, wanted to really quickly go over some of the stuff that that ordinance had uh, that was proposed would do. Um, it would apply to single-family home or two flats. All other residential properties would be banned from obtaining a permit to have uh, uh, animals. Cap the total number of fowl at six, which seems to be a popular number. We've talked about that uh, on the side. I don't know if six always comes up. Uh, livestock would be two, regardless of the size of the livestock and of the property. Uh, require anyone applying for a permit to contact all residents. This is a really onerous would require them to contact all residents within 500 feet of their property line to inform them of the proposed keeping of fowl or livestock. If 51% or more of those uh, contacted object, the city must not issue the permit regardless of the reasons for the objection. Wow. Levy fines of up to $500 for each animal every day until the animals were removed. Uh, this would apply to anyone in violation of the ordinance, even those operating with the law before its adoption. This is uh, really a, a piece of work here. Ban roosters within the city. Uh, require those selling any products from livestock or fowl, meaning eggs, milk, butter, to obtain an urban farmer business license. Uh, according to the talking point here, currently no clear urban farm business license exists within the city of Chicago. Would you care to explain that, Laura? Sure. So that's actually been an initiative that we've been working on here at AUA as long uh, along with our partners, the Chicago Food Policy Action Council and others, is the fact that, you know, according to the Urban Agriculture Zoning License, which was passed in 2011, um, Urban farm businesses have to acquire a business license, and there is not an appropriate one uh, within the Business Affairs and Consumer Protection Office. So it's just interesting that this ordinance would require a urban farm business license when one does not exist. And it's something we've actually been pushing for for years. Ah, so, you know, and maybe that will spur conversations about this so you can finally get that settled because. I imagine there are a few, more than a few areas that are unsettled right now about uh, having livestock in the city and having urban farms in the city. Yes. And this, you know, one of the big problematic things with this ordinance and, you know, livestock is getting a lot of attention, but also this urban farm restriction that's tacked on at the end of the ordinance, which says that if only... 25% of registered voters within a precinct and a precinct can include um, zoning that's beyond just residential into commercial and manufacturing. If 25% of those registered voters do not want urban farming there, they can file a petition. And um, we find that to be incredibly problematic and that will threaten the entire urban farm community here in Chicago, both for those operations that are currently in existence and ones that are in the development phase. Wow. Okay. Let's get back real quick to whether we have 
a problem with animals being let loose in the city. It's something that, um, Martha, you and I and some of the uh, animal advocates uh, we sat down with on Friday talked about. Let's clarify what happened with those hundred chickens in uh, the ward, uh, Lopez's ward, the 15th ward. That that was a, basically a cockfighting operation that got broken up, right? It was, and I... I, you know, the details that I have are secondhand um, from Julia Magnus of the Chicago Roo Crew, but, or, uh, yeah, Roo Crew, but the, um, I do want to emphasize it's an anomaly in this kind of situation. So many people are keeping backyard chickens without any kind of negative impact on the people around them. In fact, a lot of positive impacts, educationally, eggs, friendliness, people getting to know each other. So I just want to um, emphasize that. But this particular instance was somebody who obviously wouldn't care what was on the books um, because he had 114 roosters and um, some chickens as well, some hens as well, in um, pretty bad shape in one regular-sized yard. Um, I'm not sure if it was technically Englewood, but it was in Alderman Lopez's ward. Mm-hmm. And um, when they were found, they were in cages piled up and animal um, care and control contacted the animal rescue organizations and they were able to um, get out of the yard basically all of the birds over a period of time get them veterinary care get them um, proper housing with various people who have adopted them uh, Julia told us they are in something like 10 different states mm, now. yeah I, I heard that and <laughs> I thought the United wow. states yeah. <laughs> and some of them are in animal sanctuary type of situations now. So, And it's, that was a big operation um, to pull off. But in general, what happens is somebody who's not able to keep a chicken or anymore or maybe has a neighbor who really doesn't um, can't tolerate the rooster, they contact the um, chicken network in Chicago and they say, can somebody rehome my bird? And somebody mm-hmm. usually within hours on the listserv says, I'll take them. And um, that's been going on for years. Um, So I really, I do think it's important for us to understand if there is an increase right now in releases of any kind of animal, dog, cat, chicken. um, They were referring also to some larger farmed animals that, um, like pigs and sheep, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I just want us to make sure that we understand where animals are coming from, and we've always taken the line that um, prevention of problems is key for the animal's sake as much as anything, and that we want people to um, think really hard and prepare themselves before they um, begin keeping animals at home. I think that wherever there's a gap in outreach and education, potentially there could be a problem, but then just slapping a violation and a fine on somebody doesn't solve the problem and doesn't help them, you know, if they're turning their attention to dealing with the court and with paying fines instead of rectifying whatever the problem is, that doesn't help. So we un- we understand that animals get loose. Uh, sometimes people set them free. Uh, that's not a good thing mm-hmm. to do. Uh, but an ordinance won't stop that. But, but the, well, the question I have, is this a crisis in the city of Chicago, Laura? I don't 
think so. I, you know, we did talk to Chicago Animal Care and Control and, you know, I, the overwhelming problem is still dogs and cats. I mean, they have had a, a few instances of uh, larger livestock, for example, a sheep. But what they also pointed out is they um, believe that some of these larger animals are escapees from slaughterhouses here in Chicago. So, you know, that also has to be taken into account too. And, you know, we, if we're looking at the problem, we can't just solely turn to, you know, the families who are keeping backyard animals, but also look at what's going on with the slaughterhouses too. Yeah. uh, This, the idea that there are slaughterhouses and they might be unregulated, you know, I know some restaurants that in the day have gotten inspectors there Mm -hmm. once a month, um, which is kind of, a form of harassment. Uh, and so maybe we need to be looking at the slaughterhouses as well. And I will point out that uh, the Cook County Board's Zoning and Building Committee decided not to ban roosters just this week. Yeah. Uh, Commissioner, so the piece... Commissioner Peter Silvestri said there were only three complaints about roosters last year. Why regulate something that's not a problem? And that's <laughs> suburban Cook County. And that's suburban Cook County, right, Delora? Yes, and we um, had worked with him along with Martha and our partners when that amendment was introduced um, to see, you know, what the problem was and to offer our resources. And, you know, after talking with them and them talking amongst themselves, they determined that there wasn't really a problem. So they did not need to create a solution and address of a problem that was wasn't really there. Uh, I would I would imagine that you're going to point to this as a roadmap for city council as well. Yes. And we uh, you know, it's very fortuitous timing that this just came out. Um, and we pointed to that when we met with the city on Friday. And so they're they're looking into that. All right. Well, we're done here. So if you want more information, go to a advocates for urban agriculture, AUAChicago.org. You can go to MikeNovak.net. Uh, and find the statement. You can sign up on it. You can write to your aldermen. You can weigh in and have your voice heard. Thank you both Laura Calvert and Martha Boyd. I appreciate you guys taking the time on a Sunday morning. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Rick DeMaio next. If you love to landscape with trees and you haven't been to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock, you've missed out on their collection of unique conifers and rare deciduous trees. Unfortunately, after 31 years in business, they're closing their doors at the end of 2019. So now is the time to take advantage of 40% off for container trees and 30% off in-ground trees. There's a good supply of pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods. Many of the cultivars are dwarf in form or have unusual shapes, such as weeping, mounding, or angular. These are not your grandfather's conifers. Stop by, select, and tag your trees now for fall digging. By the way, the sale of all their garden art goes to Mano Omano International Partners to build schools and clinics in Bolivia. Go to richesfoxwillowpines.com for more information. Follow them on Facebook and sign up for the e-newsletter. That's richesfoxwillowpines.com. 
Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. It keep raining and raining Oh, tears from my eyes Since you've been gone All I do Cry. Six inches of uh, crying there, you know, in Will County. Yep. That's crazy. All right, we're going to get to meteorologist Rick DeMaio in just a second. However, however, healthy soil makes for a healthy garden, yet many folks don't know what to do. Jen Weizhou from Loyola University, who's been on this show. This very show. we yep. got to have him back on yes, this show. Yes, we do. He's great. Well, guess what? He's at City Grange now to teach the basics of soil composition. Cool. What NPK really means and how it impacts your vegetable garden, what to expect from a soil test, and how to have your best garden ever. And City Grange is offering all of their soil products at 25% off for the attendees of this class, which is Thursday, October 10th from 2 to 3 p.m. at 5500 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago at City Grange. That's a class worth taking just i mean this is a great time of year to learn about yeah. your soil i think it's going to fill up fast so you're going to want to sign up at citygrange.com learn shop blossom welcome back to the mike novak show with peggy malecki let's go right to meteorologist rick DeMaio, who has been sending us some pretty amazing photographs wow what's going on here rick yeah good morning <laughs> uh first first off mike and peg um to still be you know aware of this uh, my mother is of Ukrainian descent, so this phone call may actually have a transcript that's released to the public <laughs> a little bit later on. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, 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 you know... You never know. You oh, never okay. know. You I'll, never know. All, right? all I got to say to you, Rick... Don't be a jerk. Okay, just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've known jerks bigger than me, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, I think we need um, Alan for that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so here we are last week talking about 8 to 10 inches of rain in the northern suburbs mm-hmm. and southern areas of Wisconsin. And now we're talking about almost the same amount of rain uh, across our south suburbs. But this happened in pretty much less than 12 hours. Um, and when you look at some of those pictures that I sent you, um, you got to feel for these farmers. And, and these are probably the ones that were, you know, that may have gotten their crop in you know, at the end of the period where you were able to still get crops in after we had all that, you know, all that, you know, heavy rain back. And you're breaking up, Rick. Sorry about that. Uh, Maybe they were, you know, hoping that they would be able to get their crop in and get their crop out before 
the first freeze came, and here we are worried about flooding rains in September. Wow. Yeah, I, I just, uh, it, it's it's kind of a deja vu here. I feel like it's May. Uh, and, yeah. Or, yeah. or, or and, and, you know, and, and yesterday, it was funny, I was listening to KOTA in Rapid City, South Dakota, and they were talking about highs in the 50s, and I went, wow, it's kind of cold there. And then, then I realized, it's in the 50s in Chicago right now. It was mm-hmm. cold yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I think that's kind of indicative of the fact that the lake water temperature really dropped off quite a bit, um, and it also shows you that the lake never really warmed up to a to a good depth. Where you know, even though it was up to seventy five degrees at one point, mm-hmm. um, that was only probably about maybe ten or twenty feet. And once it cooled off, it really dropped off. And also, when you think about it, we didn't really have that hot of a summer. We didn't have that long of a period of of warmth so that the lake water temperature was able to get back down in the mid-60s and then even probably the middle of the lake, upper 50s. So, yeah, a day like yesterday kind of shocked a lot of people, but if you've been watching the way the lake water has been going down, it didn't shock a lot of us in the weather community. We kind of knew that it was going to be a cloudy, cool day, but uh, the odd thing about it is we'll do a 30-degree turnaround and be right back in the mid to upper 80s uh, during the day on Monday and even into Tuesday. Yeah, I, I, it's weird. Uh, coming in today, listening um, to some national news, and I heard uh, the threat of a snowstorm in the Rockies, and yet New York City might get some of its hottest temperatures. You know, they're going to have kind of a heat wave coming up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and if you look at some of the maps that I sent you in that, this, in that weekly weather update, if you look at the area south of the warm front, on Friday, this is pretty much across much of Missouri and western Illinois, the temperatures in the low 90s and the dew points were in the upper 60s and lower 70s. This was a remarkably hot and humid air mass, and typically where do you get your heaviest rain is generally north of your warm front. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the numerical models two or three days out did not handle uh, the amount of training that we were going to have. Typically, when you get thunderstorms like this, they kind of move off to the east and they kind of move across different areas as they kind of move to the east and southeast. But these kept developing in the same spot over and over and over again. And that's one of the really difficult things about short-term forecasting is where is the heavy rain going to set up and where is it going to linger? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I think this particular heavy rain event had was what we call training thunderstorms over the same area over and over and over again. And when you think about all the rain that fell to the north of us last week, a lot of those rivers were basically near flood stage already. Then you get, tap, you know, on top of that, six to eight inches of rain, and the ground is already kind of saturated. Uh, you get massive flooding, which is what we've seen in the Will County area. The good news is any rain that comes across the system today or across the area today with this next system, it's probably going to be less than an inch. So whatever rain fell, that's pretty much it for the next 24 to 36 hours. But you mentioned, uh, you know, folks trying to get their their crops out. It's when you get that much rain, uh, working in the field is not easy. No, and and we don't know what to what extent. I mean, when you when you see an aerial view of rain that literally covers the ground, at this point, you don't know whether or not. And I haven't really been able to inspect it in any great detail. You don't know whether or not it's six inches deep or a foot deep, because obviously corn this time of the year is about six to seven feet high. Uh, but you you really feel for, again, the people that were trying to get through the summer with any sort of pride and like, hey, I got a crop in in one of the more challenging 
times of the of my of my agricultural career, and then this happened. And mm-hmm. again, Mike and Peg, we're seeing more and more of these heavy rain events in September, in early October, um, as opposed to what we used to have in the spring. And does that mean that farmers, instead of worrying about the first freeze, now have to worry about whether or not you get heavy rain in the springtime? And it seems that's the direction that we're going. Wow. It's <laughs> it's it's the new normal, whatever that is, and we don't know. the new norm, Is the new normal variability or is the yeah. new normal just this piling up of rain? And a big pileup of rain sometime in the middle of the summer, too. Yeah, yeah, you got a good point there, Peg. It's like, at what point are you are you adapting for? Is it the heavy rain in the spring, the heavy rain in the summer, the heavy rain in the fall? Uh, it's pretty much any time between, you know, the beginning and the end of the growing season. And you know, speaking of the snow that's out west, that's been on, that's been ongoing now for about twenty four hours. Um, and if, again, if you go to that report that I sent, you click on the webcam site. And yesterday there was already nearly six inches of snow in parts of Glacier National Park. And while you look at that and you go, oh, my God, that's terrible, this is actually beneficial. And, Mike, Mm -hmm. you talk about this all the time, is how important it is to get some sort of water into uh, the root system of plants and trees in the fall before the ground freezes. Right. This is nothing but this is nothing but good news for them, even though you think about it, 24, 36, even 48 inches of snow, the ground is completely wide open for any sort of snow that melts. Any sort of infiltration, the, the, the root systems of the big, tall pine trees are going to accept this. And on top of that, it basically puts an end to any sort of an early, you know, uh, fire season out there. All right. You got 20 seconds for a forecast here. All right. So cloudy, drizzly today, uh, mid-60s today, mid-80s, Monday, Tuesday, and back to cool weather Wednesday and Thursday, Mike and Peg. <laughs> and more rain by the end of the week or not? Uh but a little bit of rain by the end of the week, but less than an inch overall. All right. Thanks, Rick. We'll talk to you next week. I want to thank uh, Guy McPherson and Laura Calvert and Martha Boyd and Andrew and Ellie. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 